In some cases of out-of-hospital sudden cardiac arrest, bystanders are now advised to immediately perform continuous chest compressions as cardiopulmonary resuscitation. But many bystanders are hesitant to intervene in these situations. How can medical professionals work to encourage bystander participation? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, professor of surgery at Chicago Medical School, and our guest today is Dr. Michael Sayer, associate professor of emergency medicine at the Ohio State University College of Medicine. Dr. Sayer is the lead author of new recommendations for bystanders providing CPR after a sudden cardiac arrest. Welcome, Dr. Sayer. Thank you, Dr. Hill. I'm glad to be here. Today we are discussing methods to encourage bystanders' CPR intervention after a sudden cardiac arrest. Dr. Sayer, give us a brief overview, if you would, of these new recommendations for the general public. We want the general public, if they encounter an adult victim of sudden cardiac arrest, to do just two things. Number one, call 911. And number two, begin pushing hard and fast in the center of the victim's chest. In an ideal circumstance, what we would like is for the rescuer to push one and a half to two inches 100 times a minute. How can they really know if they're pressing hard enough? Well, they really can't. So they don't take a ruler and a metronome with them to do the resuscitation. So they're left with the feel of it. And the best way to get the feel of it is to have practiced in a course where there's a mannequin that has pressure sensors and will provide some sort of feedback so you'll know how hard to push. I'm sure many persons would think that they could do this without putting their weight into that. Is it possible to do this just by pressing down with your arms or must you use your weight? You definitely have to use your weight unless you're an NFL linebacker. It takes a a fair amount of force to actually compress the chest to the degree that we're talking about. Well, let's say you've got a NFL linebacker who had a cardiac arrest and you've got a 100-pound female. Can that female do effective CPR? Yes, but she would definitely have to put her entire body into it because it is going to take 50 or 60 pounds of force to compress that person's chest to the depth that we're talking about. Now, I know that we don't have exact statistics, but how often would you say do bystanders actually involve themselves and do any kind of CPR after a sudden cardiac arrest? We know from epidemiologic studies that have been done that in most communities, somewhere around 25% to 33% of the time, some bystander will do some form of CPR before the EMS arrives. Why do you think it's so low? I think it's low for several reasons. First of all, only about half the population has been trained in CPR at any point in their lives. And the second reason is is because if the training was more than five years ago, bystanders just don't feel comfortable and they won't act. Do you think that this should be taught in the later years of grammar school and high school? I think middle school students are a perfect audience for this. And the model that I like is training seventh graders or eighth graders and then having them train their parents. What do you mean by that? Well, there are kits available. American Heart Association has one. I believe the Red Cross may also have one that students can learn CPR in a setting from in a classroom with a small blow-up inflatable mannequin. And the teacher can run the class. One doesn't have to have a CPR certificate to teach this. 
because it's self-instructional video. So they watch the DVD, person on DVD tells them what to do. They can then take that kid home, which includes the DVD, and teach their parents. How much does immediate chest compressions on a sudden cardiac arrest affect outcome? It's important. We know, again, from epidemiologic studies that if the victim gets some form of CPR prior to EMS arrival, that their chance of survival is doubled or even tripled. And usually is the cause of the cardiac arrest ventricular fibrillation? Yes, particularly if it's a sudden event. In other words, if the victim is seen to collapse or you hear the victim collapse, it's probably ventricular fibrillation and it's most likely, I would say, ventricular fibrillation is the cause of that event approximately 90% of the time. Even though we're doing just chest compression, are some of the bystanders still fearful of infection, even though they're not doing rescue breathing? It's a good question, and I honestly don't know the answer to it. But I do know that it's health professionals that worry about infection more than the lay public does. So if you ask people in a survey hey, would you do CPR or not, and are you worried about infection? Well, they definitely will say they're worried about it. But if you ask the actual bystanders, the people who had to actually do CPR or were at the event, whether that concern actually entered their mind, they will say yes perhaps 1% of the time. If you have just joined us, you are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill. And with me today is Dr. Michael Sayer, Associate Professor of Emergency Medicine at the Ohio State University College of Medicine. We are discussing methods to encourage bystanders' CPR intervention after a sudden cardiac arrest. Dr. Sayer, we also know that the public thinks about liability. Are there any legal liability issues that would keep someone from initiating CPR should the patient die and someone said, well, you shouldn't have touched the patient to begin with? Well, that concern is definitely expressed. And what we hope physicians can educate their patients and their patients' families about is that all 50 states have Good Samaritan laws that protect rescuers, unpaid volunteer rescuers in those situations. And the risk that they're going to be sued or trying to save a life is basically zero. And those rescuers do not just have to be physicians for the Good Samaritan law to be in effect. Correct. The law is in effect regardless of their professional status and regardless of whether or not they've been trained. Well, what about if someone says, if you're untrained, you really should leave this be and wait for someone who is trained to get there? What they're really saying is, hey, I'm afraid I might hurt this person because I'm not going to do it right. And the message we want people to get is, well, something is always better than nothing, and any form of chest compressions is better than no compressions at all. So don't be afraid to try this. You can only help. Do you think as physicians we should take a greater role in talking to the lay public in terms of doing CPR, chest compressions? I think we can take a leadership role in a couple of ways. So I know that a couple of years ago, I made sure to train my parents using one of the take-home kits in CPR because I had never really done that before. So I wanted to make sure they knew what to do. And I'm thinking that if more physicians would just take that responsibility and train their own parents, their own siblings and children so that they knew CPR, that would be a big help all by itself. And then to the extent possible to promote it amongst their patients Parents of young children would be a great target audience. Well, we spoke about in the school system 
Are there any schools or states that mandate this in the middle school or high school setting? I know there are a few states, but I'm not familiar enough to be able to tell you the exact number or even which ones there are. Well, do you think that it should be? I think it is something that we should definitely talk about. And I personally believe that since I can do this training and be, have it be effective in 30 minutes, that I think that is something that the school should do. And assuming that we can work out funding issues, that yes, it should be required. What about the internet? So many of the young people, so many people in general, use the internet to communicate. Can this be an avenue to educate future bystanders to help with CPR? We hope so. So the American Heart Association has undertaken as part of the hands-only CPR campaign to use these viral marketing and the internet. We have a video on YouTube, and for those that are interested, they can search YouTube on hands-only CPR. It will come up, and we are also promoting links through Facebook and MySpace and other social networking sites to help get the word out to our younger participants. Why do you think so many more lay persons are more comfortable with the Heimlich maneuver than they are with doing this maneuver? That's a good question, and I think that points out, in my opinion, the main reason is is because the abdominal thrust or the Heimlich maneuver is fairly straightforward. It's just basically do one thing and do it several times, but just do one thing. And so what we've tried to do with the hands-only CPR campaign is to simplify the instructions so that they chest compressions can be like the Heimlich maneuver in the public's mind. Now, the physicians like myself who have been ACLS trained but may not have actually done a lot of this in the field, if we witness a sudden cardiac arrest, should we just do hands only or should we do both rescue breathing and hands? What we know is that in an emergency situation, people will fall back on what they know. And that's what they're going to do the best. So what we want people to know there is do what you know. So if you have been trained in conventional CPR with 30 compressions and two breaths, then that's what you probably ought to do rather than trying to outthink it in the heat of battle, so to speak. Now, Dr. Sayer, do you think that that's going to change in terms of for us professionals learning ACLS, that it's going to change from 32 to another ratio? I think in part of the evaluation of research evidence for resuscitation guidelines in 2010, we will look at that issue. I'm hopeful that there will be some more research published between now and 2010 that can guide rational response. But I'm a little reluctant to predict how that's going to go. But I do know that the evidence that is emerging suggests that increasing compressions has improved survival. And if you had a crystal ball and could look towards the future, both not only from the public involvement, but also in future clinical trials, what would you see? My personal belief is that the compression-only approach or hands-only approach is probably per better for people who are actually in ventricular fibrillation, at least for the first few minutes. But the challenge is teaching that in a way that is effective and also make sure that the subset of cardiac arrest victims that are not in ventricular fibrillation also get a form of effective CPR. So I think we really need more evidence to know for sure what's the best way to identify as well as to teach how to recognize those kinds of patients. And do you think that the public will become more familiar with the AEDs that seem to be 
everywhere in schools and playgrounds and gymnasiums? Well, I hope so. I know that in my community, even though there are AEDs around, they're not used very often, and less than 2% of the cardiac arrests in Columbus have an AED applied before EMS arrives. So it would be nice if people got more familiar with them, but that doesn't seem to be happening yet, at least. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Michael Sayer. We've been discussing methods to encourage bystander CPR intervention after a sudden cardiac arrest. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at ReachMD.com, now featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at ReachMD.com. And thank you for listening.